The scripture today, uh, well, we're going to read a few, but the first is going to come from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint Jesus' dead body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they came to the tomb, and they were saying to each other, who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance for us? When they looked up, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away. Going into the tomb, they saw a young man in a white robe seated on the right side, and they were startled. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He isn't here. Look, here's the place where they laid him. Go, tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he is going on ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Overcome with terror and dread, they fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So this is a big day, right? The life of the church is like the biggest day, Easter Sunday. Uh, and I want to suggest to you that maybe uh, we think about this day being so important, so significant um, for its historical significance, right? We affirm that Christ, in fact, raised from the dead, that, uh, that this event, in part, is like the central theme, the core of our faith. But... Just as important is that those who claim the resurrection, you and I who stand here today that claim it, have to have an expanded theological imagination of our reality of the world. Like what actually decides the nature of reality? What kind of world are we really living in? And if we say yes to the resurrection, then we live in a different kind of world. A world where redemption and renewal and love get the final word. We live in a world where we now get to lay down our weapons. We get to forego revenge. We get to live without fear. What would we have to be afraid of if we really believe that the resurrection is not just a historical moment, not just something that happened to Jesus, but God showing the very nature of reality. We get a glimpse at the end of the story. We happen to be in the middle, and the middle can look pretty dark, and the middle can feel hopeless, but we know what the end is like. We see the end, right? If you stopped reading with Christ on the cross in pain, that's pretty hopeless and bleak. You keep reading, and you get something like, hope. Can we hold on a little longer, right? Can we hold on just a little bit longer? Resurrection's coming. It is the nature of the reality that God has created. It gets the last word. Because if you can believe it, like if you can get that into your bones, if you can breathe that deeply into your soul, you'll live different. The world will look different. Your relationships are different. Because the nature of reality is one where we know what gets the last word and we know that love wins. Thank you. Yes, that's right. Amen. So I want you to think about uh, 
like just the way in which nature works, the way in which like our existence works, our relationships work. I, I want to look at that in a way that tells us something about the nature of God. So I'm going to think about resurrection like inhaling and exhaling, like breathing in and breathing out, uh, the way in which like death gives rise to new life, the way that right now I have tulips and crocuses pushing up through the dirt and they died and things froze and it stayed frozen for way too long. (laughs) And now like death gives rise to new life. Like it's the way of the seasons, it's the way of nature, the way in which relationships have a season of being drawn together and being sent apart, that things in life come together and they fall apart, that there are times of great joy and times of great sorrow, that the world itself is like breath. It's like we inhale love and we exhale our bitterness, like this process of bringing in and letting go. And I want you today to think about resurrection in this way. I want us to think about experiencing resurrection because some in this room need to experience it. You need to experience it, right? Because someone you love has passed, because someone's sick, because your family is stuck in Afghanistan and you need to experience redemption. You need to experience resurrection. You need to breathe it in. Like I picture it like breathing it in like, oh, I need that. I have to see God at work. I need to experience this in some real way in my life. I need the resurrection to be more than something happened 2,000 years ago. I need it to happen now here in this room in Boise. And then I want you to think about exhale. (sighs) Like being sent to live resurrection. We experience it. And then we're called to like live differently, like live it in the world. So I want to look at those two elements. Some of you just are not at a place to live it. You're barely holding on. You need to experience it. You need to see it. And some of you are ready. And you're ready to exhale it into the world, right? And we're going to see all of this in the life of Peter. We're going to look, right? But tell the disciples, but in particular, tell Peter. So we're going to look at Peter's journey just a little bit. But first, I want you to think about for a minute how many people in this very short Stations of the Cross journey, a few chapters in the Bible, like 30 hours of Jesus' life. I mean, it's like a very short period of time. Think about the number of people who experienced resurrection, who breathed that and who saw it happen, right? I think about Mary at the foot of the cross of Christ, her son dying, and Jesus saying to John, please take my mother in. You now are together. You're a family. Like in the midst of this loss, like a searing loss, a a son dying, you're given new life and a new family and a new son. It is the experience of resurrection. That's powerful, right? Or you think about, we talked about the thief on the cross who had spent most of his life away from God in sin and yet reaches out to Jesus in the end and experiences resurrection, experiences that grace. Jesus says to that thief, today you will be with me in heaven. You'll be with me in paradise. Like Like that's the breathing in like, That's what I've been looking for. I've been needing is that grace because the world looks so dark. Thank you, Adrian. That's right. Amen. 
Or you think about Mary Magdalene, who when Jesus encountered her, it says she had spirits and had been rejected, and right, a woman that was seen as like of ill repute in a certain way, and Jesus sees her, sees past it, looks at her, sees her humanity, loves her, and she experiences new life and resurrection, and she's at the foot of the cross, the first in the morning to the tomb, because of that experience of resurrection, that breathing in. My prayer is that for those who need it, you experience it. Nadia Boltz-Weber describes resurrection this way. She says, resurrection is about making things new. This is what God is up to in the world, right? God is up to making things new. New looks like recovering alcoholics. New looks like reconciliation between family members, neither of which actually deserves it. New looks like every time I manage to admit when I was wrong and every time I manage not to mention when I'm right. New looks like every fresh start and every act of forgiveness and every moment of letting go of what we thought we couldn't live without and then somehow living without it anyway. New is the thing you never saw coming, never even hoped for, but ends up being exactly what you needed all along. Because God simply keeps reaching down into the dirt of our lives, pulling us up out of the graves we dig for ourselves through all of our violence, our selfishness, our deceit, our arrogance, our addictions, and God keeps loving us back to life over and over again. So yes, even now, even this year, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and to those in the tombs bestowing life. That's resurrection. That's new life. And some of you need to experience it today. My prayer is that God shows up and does that, right? So here's Peter. We're going to look at Peter. He's denied Jesus three times. I mean, he, he finally got it, right? They had been practicing for three years, roaming around. He had seen Jesus do a bunch of stuff. He tells Jesus at the Last Supper, like, I'm with you, Jesus. And he's like, you're going to deny me. Not me. Not me. I'll go all the way to death with you, Jesus. And then as soon as it was his time at the plate, he took three fastballs right down the middle. <laughs> right? As soon as, it was, as soon as it was Peter's time to shine, baby, he froze up. I mean, Jesus just got arrested. You know what his fate is. And they're like, hey, weren't you with Jesus? No, 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 not me. Because he's human. Because in some hypothetical world, he was ready. He was ready. He believed in resurrection. He believed death didn't get the end. In his head, in the abstract, he believed that love wins. But when he was faced with arrest and possible death, suddenly that belief didn't translate into action. And of course, when he hears the rooster crow, he breaks down crying. He realizes, right, how little faith. And you would think, again, you would think that when there were rumors that Jesus had raised, right? So imagine you're Peter, you see Jesus die, you denied him. Then you hear whispers that Jesus rose from the dead. Your first thought should be run and hide. Because like you denied this person who now has come back to life. Again, every other story in the movies when that happens, when the good guy isn't actually dead, it's usually bad for those that denied or rejected him, right? Doesn't go well. But in this case, Peter doesn't. Peter knows Jesus well enough. He knows. And so the resurrection account we're going to read comes in John chapter 21. And they're fishing. And the resurrected Christ is on the shore and he calls out to the boat. 
And he tells them to throw their nets on a different side and they catch a bunch of fish. And Peter immediately realizes that's Jesus. And he doesn't wait for the boat to get to shore. He just jumps into the water. He just runs and jumps, like swims in. He's like Forrest Gump. He just starts swimming for shore. He can't get to Jesus fast enough because he knows Something in him knows what's waiting for him. And it's not violence and it's not revenge and it's not what he deserves. It's grace, it's resurrection. That's what he's gonna find. So this is what Jesus says to Simon and Peter after they eat. Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus asked the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And he asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was sad that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he replied, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And of course, Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And there's a wonderful parallel, the three denials of Peter are met with three moments of forgiveness from Jesus and the, the slate is wiped clean, right? There's restoration, there's redemption, there's forgiveness. And this happens because Peter waits just a little longer. Peter wants that second at bat where he's not gonna take three heaters down the middle. He's gonna take a cut. And once that resurrection is experienced, once Peter is made new, once he's encountered Jesus and received forgiveness, he is a completely different person. So there's the breathing in. Ah, oh, the forgiveness of Jesus, the forgiveness of God, the experience in the resurrected Lord, knowing that love is gonna get that last word, that I can hope for a little bit longer. Then there's the breathing out, the call to live resurrection in the world, and that's harder. So the second passage we're gonna look at from Peter's life comes from the book of Acts. At this point, Jesus it has ascended. Jesus is no longer with them. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. And now you have the disciples and the early church trying to figure out, how are we going to share the gospel? How are we going to tell people what Jesus has done for us and what he can do for them? And so they begin preaching in public in various places. But of course, Rome is the occupying force. So when they preach, sometimes they're allowed and sometimes they're not, depending on who the local magistrate is, depending on who the emperor might be. And so in this case, in Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other disciples that are preaching are told, you can't, and they do it, and then they're arrested, and they go to jail. That's, that's a scary place. It doesn't take much to end up from jail to execution, right? But they're released from prison, miraculously. They're set free. And you would think after you'd been arrested for preaching when you're told not to preach and you're finally set free from prison that you'd probably go home, find your kids, I don't know, go on a bike ride on a beautiful day, have a picnic. No, not Peter. Instead, he goes right back to the square where he was arrested and he continues to preach about Christ's resurrection. So hear these words. The apostles were brought before the council where the high priest confronted them. Look, guys, in no uncertain terms, we demanded that you not teach in Jesus' name. And look at you. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to hold us responsible for Jesus' death. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than humans. This is the response. We're not listening to you. 
The God of the ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God has exalted Jesus to his right side as leader and savior so that he could enable Israel to change its heart and life and to find forgiveness for sins. We are witnesses of such things, as is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. This is the exhale. This is like, I've, I'm so filled with the resurrection, so convinced that this shapes the nature of my reality that I can live it. Peter can live without fear. There's nothing you can do to me to scare me anymore because death won't get the last word. So kill me if you must, arrest me if you want, but I will not stop preaching Christ resurrected. God's forgiveness. For some of you, you're ready for this exhale. You're ready for this kind of courage. You're ready for this kind of faithfulness. And my prayer, my prayer is that you won't let anything stand in your way from living the resurrection. But you see that there's, there's two pieces here. There's the breathing, out and breathing in and the breathing out. And it's hard because I know when I, when I preach to a group this size, there are some that have no strength whatsoever. You can, be, you, right now you're sitting skeptical of the resurrection of Jesus. You're not sure what you believe. And so for you, I pray that you might encounter that, that you might be like Thomas, who just needs a little bit more evidence, who just needs to experience resurrection a little bit more clearly, who needs to know that reality is not shaped by competition and power and violence and who has the most money. It's shaped by redemption and new life and forgiveness. But again, I know there's some of you that are on the verge and you don't know and you, and I'm saying, take that risk, make that jump, live that resurrection in a way that's ultimately what transforms lives and our world. It's when we have not just an, a historical affirmation that Christ rose, but that we live as though we believe Christ rose. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for Peter who just represents all of us. He's a mess. He's brash. He puts his foot in his mouth. But in the end, at his lowest, somewhere in him was a stirring that knew when he encountered you what he would find is forgiveness and love, that he knew he'd find grace. Help us to know that deeply as well, that we might breathe in your resurrection and your new life. But Peter didn't stop with simply receiving it or experiencing it. He lived it. And the world is different because of it. And so we pray for the courage and the faith that we might live your resurrection in our lives. Amen. If you would like 